Howdy, folks, and happy Lent. I would assume most of our listeners are Catholic, but on the off chance that some of you are not Catholic and are not practicing Lent, happy Lent to you, too. This is Matt Sewell. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 20 of the Popecast, the podcast about popes for those who like history but aren't real crazy about history books. This week's pope is a tad ironically named. During his six years in the chair of Peter, nothing too exciting happened, and certainly nothing that seemed to live up to uh, how we currently define his name. This week, it's Pope number 46, the Pope who didn't do anything funny, Pope St. Hilarious. Hilarious, referred to in other places also as St. Hilary or St. Hilarus, and St. Hilary not to be confused with St. Hilary of Poitiers, was born in Sardinia, an island to the west of Italy, sometime around the turn of the 5th century. History doesn't pick up on the future pope, though, until he's serving as an archdeacon for Pope St. Leo the Great in the 440s. Honestly, the biggest drama, including his papacy, that history recounts about Hilarius was in 449, 12 years before he was elected pope, when Leo sent him as papal representative to the Second Council of Ephesus, what's actually now known known as the Robber Council, for reasons we'll see in just a minute. They should have known that the meeting, which is not recognized by the church as one of its 21 ecumenical councils, would only bring trouble. Case in point, of the two guys Leo sent, one died on the way. The council was, shall we say, to keep this thing clean, the word for excrement coupled with a synonym for a stage play. Let you guys figure that one out. The emperor in the east had convened it, but didn't allow any time for western bishops to attend. A shady character named Dioscorus, the patriarch of Alexandria, played puppeteer in not only refusing to read a letter that Pope Leo had demanded be read about the heresy being discussed, but he also saw to the literal beating of his counterpart in Constantinople, St. Flavian, who was deposed and exiled at the end of the council. Hilarius, for the record, vigorously opposed the deposition. But it did no good at the time, and Flavian would die just a few days later. But as if that were bad enough, history shows that some of the documents put forth in the council were deliberately falsified, and the bishops in attendance who opposed Dioscorus were violently prevented from taking notes. The council was a sham that all but tried to endorse the heresy of monophysitism, the false belief that Christ only had a divine nature and not, as the entire Christian community now knows to be true, two distinct and coexisting natures, fully divine and fully human. In order to get what they wanted, the council ringleaders are said to have forced bishops to sign the conclusions of the council under fear of bodily harm, that some of them signed a blank paper and others didn't even sign at all, and their names were forged after the fact. Thankfully, at the end, Hilarius could play his ace in the hole after witnessing all this nonsense. He uttered a single word, Contradicitur, which perhaps dramatically read, translates to, I declare to speak against, thereby rendering everything the council decided to be null and void by wielding the power of the papacy on behalf of Leo the Great. And then, the Catholic Encyclopedia puts it a bit blandly, quote, he then escaped with difficulty, end quote. But let's be honest, Hilarius literally ran for his life. But thankfully, he made it back to Rome unscathed, reporting the news back to the boss. Leo himself recounts in a letter to the Empress Pulcheria, quote, Our legates of whom one Hilarius, escaping the violence of the Bishop of Alexandria, who grasped at everything, 
has faithfully related to us the order of events, end quote. Hilarius himself had also written to Pulcheria, actually, apologizing for not delivering the Pope's letter to her on account of him having to flee, of course, and writing about the council, quote, I could not participate in the will and decision of Dioscorus, end quote. The council continued for a bit after Hilarius' escape and Flavian's exile, but it didn't matter. What was attempted to be an ecumenical council was officially cast down by Leo and referred to forever after as, we mentioned, the Robber Council. The Council of Chalcedon followed just a couple of years later, which is an ecumenical council, and that was where the Monophysite heresy and likewise Dioscorus were condemned once and for all. But back to Hilarius. He served Leo all the way to the great Pope's death in 461, and was elected to follow him as the 45th successor to St. Peter on November 19th, 461. Though it had been a decade earlier, to modernize we can be confident in Hilarius's orthodoxy at such a time of great upheaval in the church. In 1847, one author wrote that, quote, it could hardly have been the case had any shadow of imputation rested on his orthodoxy, end quote. In other words, Hilarius was solid. And we know he was solid because he got elected. After his election, honestly, Hilarius really didn't do too much of note, especially for a guy with a name that lends itself to unbridled laughter, as it were. For a concise account of how pretty much everything exciting Hilarius did happen before he was Pope, we'll refer to an old article in the Denver Catholic, the publication of the Archdiocese of Denver, entitled, quote, Four Saints with Laughably Ridiculous Names. The entry on Hilarius reads as follows. St. Hilarius ironically appears to be one of the holiest buzzkills in church history. He was a pope, so he wrote encyclicals, but they were about discipline. He convoked a synod to discuss hierarchical titles and property sales. He fought some heresies, which is cool, but the heresies weren't even interesting. All told, I honestly would have had more fun listening to a pair of dockers tell me about their food allergies than I did reading his biography. He was basically the ordinary time of people. End quote. Ouch. That might be a little too far, but it's pretty much all but spot on. At least the battling of heresy part has some excitement to it, though. We always seem to enjoy, don't we, when a pope is especially fiery in his speech, and Hilarius really had a good one in this case. In 467, the emperor Anthemius has recently passed a law of toleration for groups in open division with the church and their leaders. Schismatics, essentially, right? The emperor's favorite of these was Philotheus a man who espoused the Macedonian heresy. I hadn't heard of this one either before writing about Hilarius a few years back. Macedonianism originated on the west end of Turkey with a guy named Macedonius. Surprise, surprise. Anyway, they taught that the Holy Spirit, the third divine person of the Trinity, wasn't in fact God, and actually taught similar to the Arians, another heresy during that time, that Christ wasn't completely God, but was only, quote, similar substance, homoousius, to God as opposed to being consubstantial with the Father, right, as Catholics recite now in the Nicene Creed. It originated about a hundred years prior to Hilarius' reign and was denounced by Pope St. Damasus I in 374, but the emperor was seeking, maybe inadvertently, to give them another foothold. Hilarius, who wasn't about that business, reportedly ripped the emperor a new one in St. Peter's Basilica and demanded that he swear an oath on the grave of St. Peter that he would allow no schismatic assemblies in Rome, nor allow the evil to spread further. Hey, he maybe didn't seem hilarious, but he at least wasn't that boring. Prior to his death in 467, later in 467, of course, Hilarius built many churches and other buildings in Rome. In particular, he built two small chapels in the Lateran Basilica, 
one dedicated to St. John the Baptist, and the other to St. John the Apostle, to whom Hilarius actually attributed his escape from Ephesus two decades earlier. In fact, over the ancient doors of the latter oratory read the inscription, quote, to St. John the Evangelist, the liberator of Bishop Hilarius, a servant of Christ, end quote. Hilarius died after a papacy of six years, three months, and ten days, slipping his mortal coil on February 28th, 468 AD. His feast day is November 17th in the Roman Catholic Church. Seriously, the least he could have done, right, was left an account of how he pantsed a bishop at the Robert Council or something, or left us some witty 5th century humor. But, oh well. Well, that's it for our bio on Pope St. Hilarius. A bit of a short one, by comparison, but before we go, we've got a question, actually, from one of our patrons. One of the benefits uh, those who contribute $2 or more per episode get for being a patron of the Popecast. This question, in particular, comes from Matt. His question is, what is the symbolism behind John Paul II's coat of arms? Of course, I had to do a bit of research on this one, not, not exactly one I'd be able to answer off the cuff, even though I was uh, familiar with the, the crest itself. So John Paul's coat of arms is a blue shield featuring a gold cross, a large, and then there's a large gold M in the lower right quadrant, for those who haven't seen it. So it's a, a gold cross, an M in the lower right corner, then behind the shield are the papal tiara, the three-tiered crown like the one featured in the Popecast logo, and a pair of keys tied together with a cord. The coat of arms was always accompanied by John Paul II's Episcopal model, Totus Tuus, chosen when he was made a bishop in Poland in 1958. The tiara and the keys are the two classic signs of papal authority, as many of you know. Though Paul VI was actually the last pope to actually wear the tiara, its three crowns represent the traditional threefold power of the pope, father of kings, governor of the world, and vicar of Christ. The two crossed keys represent Christ's proclamation to Peter in Matthew 16, 18 of being given the keys to the kingdom, hearkening back to the Old Testament, I believe in the book of Isaiah, where the keys to the kingdom are handed to the king's prime minister. And since the 14th century, actually, they've been the official insignia of the Holy See. And then the rest of it, two words or persons more like uh, instead of words, encapsulate the meaning of JP2's coat of arms, and that would be Jesus and Mary. The cross is representative, of course, of Christ's crucifixion, while the M in the lower right signifies both his great devotion to the Blessed Mother and to her place at the foot of the cross as her divine son died. And then the quote, the motto, totus tuus, is Latin for totally yours, in reference to both as well. Uh, and Pope Benedict XVI, I looked up a, a reference here, it was actually at the Beatification Mass when uh, Venerable John Paul II became Blessed John Paul II. Uh, Benedict noted that the motto was a quote from St. Louis de Montfort's treatise on true devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And the full phrase actually reads, forgive any Latin mispronunciations here, Totus tuus ego sum et omnia mea tua sunt, acipio te in mea omnia. Prebi mihi cortuum Maria. And that's translated, I belong entirely to you and all that I have is yours. I take you for my all. O Mary, give me your heart. So, there you have it. Uh, thanks, Matt, for the question. That kind of encapsulates the, the meaning of John Paul II's coat of arms, completely surrendering uh, himself to follow uh, the greatest disciple to teach us how to follow Christ perfectly. Yeah, thanks, Matt, also for being a patron. And to all of our patrons, for those of you who haven't checked out our Patreon page yet, uh, you get early access to each Popecast episode a day early. And there's also, I just posted an audiobook of Diu Satis, the uh, 
in short encyclical of Pius VII on discipline, 200 years old, but still pretty darn relevant today. Um, so patreon.com slash Matt Sewell, patreon.com slash M-A-T-T-S-E-W-E-L-L. A buck or two an episode, you can set a monthly limit, but your patronage just goes to making sure we can keep churning these out. Also, if you haven't yet, uh, please subscribe, rate, review at iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to um, the podcast app. Our latest review comes from NJ Nichols. Uh, five stars for someone who is new to the church. This podcast has provided excellent bite-sized insights into some of the men who have helped shape and influence the faith I now call home. Thank you. Thank you, NJ. Um, appreciate that review. If you leave a review, we'll make sure to read it out, give you a shout out on the show. Um, but otherwise, lastly, be sure to check us out. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we're posting daily Pope quotes there, feast day quotes. Um, and then, of course, Pope bios when uh, for the sainted ones. Um, from Flock Notes Popes in a Year that I wrote a few years ago. But that's it for this week. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. And uh, as we always go out and we have a sainted pontiff that we're recapping, we ask for their intercession. So Pope St. Hilarius, pray for us. Until next time. <laughs>